You know, people that you see who have to run, I don't know, say for a bus, the obvious example, or having sex, for example, for God's sake, let's get back to basics, why not? You know, you want to be able to enjoy these activities, don't you? You don't want to be going, I'm so unfit, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> uh, you want to play with anything, your anything children, your grandchildren. You know, so for me, veganism veganism is all about having good sex. Yeah, that's it. That's it for me. <laughs> there we go. All right, that's the intro yes. to this episode sorted. Uh, me, uh... Oh, crikey, Moses on. Hello, hello. Welcome to Sustainable 190. 190. Crikey Moses old, still at it. 190 years old. How about that? How the devil are you? Have we done one a year for 190? Feels like it, old son. Feels Tully. like it. The world, the world has gone very, very peculiar. Um, yes, how are you? Are you well? Are things good? Tip and indeed top. You? Terrific and indeed magnific. And what are we going to be talking about this week? Oh, your guts. What? Yeah, what goes in them or what doesn't go in them. Specifically, animals that don't go in them. We're going to be talking about veganism. Finally. Yes, finally. finally. It's only taken us 190 episodes to talk about veganism. I suppose it reflects the fact that you are a vegan and you bang on about it given half the chance. So I've resisted. No, I... that's not true. That's not true and it's don't. not fair. It's quite the opposite, actually. I don't know how we've managed to come this far without doing a veganism episode, uh, especially as we have done some kind of meaty episodes as well in the past. Go and check out episode 63 in particular uh, with Louise Gray, the ethical carnivore, that one was called. But anyway, this is with the magnificent, the frankly made of sterner stuff than uh, any other human I've encountered on this podcast, uh, Juliet Galatly, who is the boss of an organisation called Viva. Yes, Viva are a vegan organisation. Oh, they campaign on veganism, that's what they do. And as well as telling people how great being a vegan is, they also do all sorts of proper, like, hardcore stuff. You know, like, when you go to the Daily Mail, if you go to the Daily Mail, which you might not, but if you happen to go to the Daily Mail, and you see in it an investigation from, like, inside a factory farm, it's quite a high chance it's Viva what done it. They go and they break into things and show you what the reality of factory farming and stuff is like. So, yeah... Really, really fab. We talked to Juliet all about veganism, why she became vegan, why she continues to be one, how come everyone now thinks being a vegan is fab, and whether or not Ol is going to be vegan by the time we end this conversation. Just the usual disclaimer, I retain the right to be a contradictory bag of water about my dietary choices and every other choice I make and also I work for an environment charity so does Dave so if you have any tofu with anything we say uh, take it up with us directly don't take it up with the people for whom we work okay should we get on with it right yes let's get on with it look this is an episode not kind of taking on that question of is veganism the right thing to do for the planet or for your health or whatever? It's, you know, we're not we're not actually debating this. 
what this episode is, is talking to Juliet, who is the boss of Viva, about her life, about what Viva does, and about, you know, her kind of experiences of promoting veganism and all the rest of it. So just, you know, just to head off any kind of sniffles that we might potentially get in that direction. And as I'll said, we have done three, three episodes in which in various forms we talk about eating meat and why it can be all right. So this is us redressing the balance. Yes. So put away that pen, shut up and listen to Juliet talking about veganism. What did we ask her first of? We started by asking Juliet if she remembered the very day that she became a vegan. I do remember the day, but not the date. Um, but I do remember it because it was quite one of those um, iconic moments in your life. I was vegetarian for quite a long time beforehand because you have to remember I'm, you know, knocking on in years. So it was very common to go vegetarian first. <laughs> and um, I already knew about a lot of the issues and sort of the rumblings of, you know, why aren't I giving up dairy were getting stronger and stronger. And in fact, back then, I lived in a very small hamlet called Church Minchel and I was surrounded 360 degrees by farmers. A cow gave <laughs> birth outside basically the garage, which in fact later was where Viva formed. <laughs> and, um, and usually she gave birth to twins. And when they were very, very young, the farmer and farm assistant came and sort of, you know, struggled literally carrying them up the road. And I actually literally ran after them and asked them what was going to happen to the calves. And they were both males. And he said that they were going to go off, you know, be exported and go for veal. And I went back in the house and just got the milk out of the fridge and poured it down the sink. And that was it. It was one of those moments when it, I just kind of needed that final kick up the arse and kind of gave it to myself through that. Wow, that's cool. That's like a proper dramatic <laughs> thing, and it's not—it's not a sort of sitting and reading reports and thinking on the one hand this, on the other hand that. It's—it's it's visceral. It's emotional. Sounds like. Has it always been for you a very kind of visceral, emotional thing? Has it always felt like a thing that you feel? Do you know what I mean? Definitely, because as a kid, my mum used to say, you used to fight for the underdog. And of course, the underdog mm. would often be animals because, of course, they literally have no voice. So we are their voice. And I felt that really passionately. I can remember reading an anti-vivisection book when I was, I don't know, I, I'd guess about 12. And when you read stuff like that when you're 12, you know, like psychology experiments on chimpanzees and the stuff that they do to animals, you know, like deliberately drowning rats. And you're just thinking, what what the f*** is going on in this world? And you think, <laughs> I can change all this. I just need to tell everybody what's going on and everybody will change instantly, just like me. <laughs> that's, that's, that's every campaigner's origin story, yeah. isn't it? It's like, yeah. oh, I found out this thing that the other 7.5 yeah, billion exactly. people in the world don't realise, which is that everything's screwed up. So I'll tell everyone yeah. and then it'll be fine. And oh, we all learn in the hard way that that isn't how a change happens. I've got one or two things to say. Look, you've got it all wrong. You don't need to follow me. You don't need to follow anybody. So, yeah, it was rose-tinted spectacles back then, but um, I found out about factory farming, actually. It's pre-Google, all this, you have to remember. No social media. And um, so it's from a leaflet. And I thought, oh, my God, this sounds really bad. And somebody said to me, well, do you eat meat? And, of course, I was brought up in a family that ate everything. 
And I had to really, really reevaluate what I was doing and where I sat in the world with no support whatsoever from family, friends, school. And in fact, nobody knew a vegetarian, you know, let alone the word vegan. Um, so it was, it's, it's quite an isolating thing in some ways to do when you're challenging mm-hmm. sort of really everything that you've been told since you were, you know, knee high, challenging your own parents and their perceptions of what is best for you as well. Um, it was quite a big thing. I think a lot bigger back then than it is today. So um, I did. I was a Bolshe so-and-so, though, and I actually managed to go onto a factory farm myself when I was about 13, 14 with a university student to uh, this huge place in um, the West Midlands. And it was like a showcase for farmers from across the world, actually. And they had back then the sow stalls, the pigs, because um, in the UK they used to put pregnant pigs in these little stalls before they were moved into the farrowing crates, which are still legal. Um, but it also had battery hens, which, as you probably remember, hens were kept five to a cage uh, for egg laying. And um, it also had these little calves as well who'd all been separated from the mum. So there were lots of systems going on. And I have to say, as a sort of like 13-year-old, seeing this for yourself, smelling it looking these animals in the eye is a very different experience from reading something on a leaflet or even today watching it on a, you know, a video. Um, and at that age, I think you're much more open to argument and you're much more open to the emotions that are being thrown at you. Um, as you get older, you kind of learn mechanisms, don't you? I, I guess you could say to cope, but you shut down to some degree. Yeah, right. Um, whereas at 13, 14, you're incredibly open. In fact... I used to give school talks, literally one to three, four school talks every single week as part of my job. And you notice the changes in perceptions of the world of secondary school students very, very much so from the 11-year-old to the 13, 14-year-old through to the sixth former. It's very dramatic, the changes in their openness towards animal and environmental issues. And at 13, so 14, former, you're still very open. What happens then? Do they... They sort of they start getting hardened, do they? Or, yeah. Or, 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 yeah. But they that, do. That's interesting. They do. They start. They start getting hardened. They start toughening up, if you like, as they see it. Their arguments and start. They start shutting down, actually, um, and so it happens remarkably quickly. I'm in love my meat, but not as much as I love my little girl. That's why we've made some changes to our old favourite. Sausage casserole a la carte. Now with meat-free cumberlands. So still with my magic touch. Cumin. You can't move, can you, for like vegan stuff everywhere. Vegan propaganda, insidious vegan propaganda. So have we won? Have we basically <laughs> won now? Is that it? Yeah, it is. It's all of us. <laughs> Job's done. <laughs> <laughs> Jolly good. Um... Well, it does depend on whose survey you you know you read, of course. Um, um, the one of the big ones, which was done by Waitrose, well, they commissioned it, but they did it across supermarket shoppers. I mean, all the supermarkets, not just their own. Um, and that was um the end of two thousand nineteen going into sorry the end of two thousand eighteen going into nineteen, and their results showed that. So the UK population is about sixty seven million. Two point two million people are vegan. 7 million people are vegetarian, that's almost 10%. And um, what's interesting to them commercially, of course, is the flexitarians, as they call them, the very active meat reducers who choose vegan food a lot. And that's 14 million over 20%, so over a fifth. So if you add those up together, you're getting to, that's one third of the population who are actively 
looking to change or have changed their diet considerably. Um, Which is why, of course, the supermarkets are taking it very seriously indeed. That's massive, isn't it? And it's even even compared to sort of 10 years ago when, well, that's when I went vegetarian. I'm not I'm not vegan. I am vegetarian. And like even then it felt like a still felt like a kind of niche pursuit. And Mm. a lot of what you were saying about kind of feeling like you were putting yourself out on a limb and putting yourself at odds to family and friends and your upbringing was still, you know, I sort of felt some of that. And that was really quite recently. But do you reckon then that when, when people like Dale Vince say that he reckons half of the UK public are going to be vegan in 10 years' time, that that's actually not as kind of far out as it sounds? It's not as far out as it sounds. And I, I think, sadly, it's for all the serious issues that you know all about. I think they're going to become ever more uh, dramatic and serious and the, the public are going to have to sit up and take notice. And they relate not just to the animals themselves, because sadly, a lot of people you know, don't respond to animal cruelty, um, but they do respond to environmental issues. The United Nations has concluded that factory farming is one of the biggest contributors to the most serious environmental problems at every level, from local to global. Land degradation, climate change, pollution, water shortages, habitat destruction. As that plays itself out through the next decade, People like David Attenborough, you know, have just gone on, you know, his personal um, documentary where he actually spoke from the heart in a way that I've never seen him do before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was amazing, wasn't it? It, it was, was completely different. Completely different and all, all the more powerful for it. Was, yes, and the way I love the way he explained it. how we just can't afford as the human race to consume animals and be carnivores. You know, and he explained that the carnivores at the top of the food chain are relatively small in terms of the population size, like a cheetah, whereas the wildebeest are huge in their population size. And you just cannot afford to have billions of human beings who want to be carnivores and still have a planet Earth left. It's impossible. So those sustainability arguments are going to get much, much, much stronger. If you could have a biological morality, you can say, yes, we evolved to eat pretty well everything. But at the moment, but now we've got to a stage in our own social evolution in which that is no longer practical uh, because we simply can't destroy uh, the, the natural um, uh, forests and, and, and plains of, of the world to feed ourselves and destroy the rest of the natural world. We, ca- we can't afford to do that. So therefore we have to modify our, our diet. Because I remember when I started doing this, which was, what, nearly 15 bloody years ago now, and the only things you could get then were various stringy types of hummus and lettuce and chips. <laughs> and I remember the thing that has definitely changed between now and then, apart from the fact that no one around me thinks it's that weird anymore, is that when I started out, people said to me, you are doing something unhealthy. And now it is very much people mm. see veganism as the healthy thing. That's a massive change, right? No doubt due to the work that you and others have done. So is it definitely, I mean, can you can you now say emphatically that case is closed? Veganism is healthy. I can absolutely say it is the healthiest right. diet for a human being. And one of the reasons for that is if you look at the, you know, the, the opposite, if you like, what's unhealthy and what 
it's basically what most people do to themselves, which is largely what I would term a junk food meat based diet. I trained in nutritional therapy for three years. So I did, you know, for a period of years, actually treat people on an individual level and help them get better. So I had a very direct interest in, in all the research. But actually, through this pandemic, I've been looking at the, you know, obviously, you know, that there's so many more people that die from COVID-19 have got underlying diseases. And those diseases tend to be diabetes, type 2, obesity, and heart disease, for example. And when you look at the causes of those three diseases, they're, they're so related to what we do to ourselves, rather than being genetic, I mean. And of course, diet's a massive part of them. And then if you look at the converse, if you look at how veganism protects you, the arguments and the science is so very powerful now. Veganism does protect our heart health, absolutely, no doubt whatsoever. It reduces cancers overall. I mean, all cancers by about one-fifth, which is it's a bloody big thing when you think more than one in two of us now suffer from cancer in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I'd take those odds. I'd, I'd take a 20% reduction. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. yeah it's like giving, it's just when I give talks, I don't say veganism is the panacea, you will never die. You know, it's not about <laughs> no, that. It's about you, giving you. You will still die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I and I say, look, for me, this is a personal thing. For me, it's about having energy while you're alive. You know, it's about not, you know, people that you see who have to run, I don't know, say for a bus, the obvious example, or having sex, for example, for God's sake, let's get back to basics. Why not? You know, you want to be able to enjoy these activities, don't you? You don't want to be going, so I, I can't do it anymore. Dave, uh, you want to play with anything, your anything children, your grandchildren. You know, so for me, veganism, veganism is all about having good sex. Yeah, that's it. That's it for me. There um, we go. All right. That's the intro yes. to this episode sorted. Uh, me, uh, oh, crikey, Moses. Oh. Oh, I've got all pink. What are these? The sausages or the vegan ones? What these are, are the vegan ones. Yeah. Vegan ones? So you yeah. can barely tell the difference. I can tell. I mean, they, they stink, right? No, for they're delicious. Right? They're delicious, actually. Because they've got the same seasoning. Ooh, God. I like them. They've got nice... There was, a, there was a, yeah. an interview I saw that you took part in with a whole bunch of people on BBC... <laughs> what was it? Uh, Sunday Morning Live, I think. Uh, and it... Um, uh, I was really struck basically by the hostility of the whole thing. And I don't know why, because it's 2020 and basically everything on tw- on telly is hostile. Like, that's just <laughs> the deal, isn't it? But it, it's, it seemed like everyone was just waiting to have a pop at the people making the arguments, you know, advocating veganism, which was you and Dale Vince, um, including a, a guy who is, I think it was called Tim mm. Sheaf, who was a, an athlete and previously like a vegan influencer and had, they got him on because he had like this kind of conversion. He's like, I realised it wasn't doing my health any good, so I decided not to be vegan. But And, and I don't really want to get into that because as you pointed out in, in the interview, it's, it's not scientific, it's just one person's, you know, personal opinion. But I, the whole thing was just horrible to watch in a sense that like you were just getting attacked for being vegan, basically. And, you know, and I wondered, is that normal? Is that what always happens <laughs> yeah. when you go on telly and like defend veganism? Because that's, that's be bloody hard work if it well, is. 
I mean, the nice thing about or the good thing about when you get attacked, like dispatches made a program which is pretty much against Viva and our investigations. The thing is, when they do that television, you get so much public sympathy. It's funny, it tends to go in your favour. Really? They see them as the bullies. Um, and so I guess it doesn't affect me in the way that it does you as the viewer. I think it's almost worse for you than it was for me. Cause, and it's probably because I'm so used to it as well. That, um, you know, I, I now have a very strong mantra. When I do things like television, I forget the interviewer completely. This takes time, by the way, in practice, um, <laughs> unless you're lucky. Wish you'll, uh... I'll take it personally. <laughs> and, you know, and I just think about the audience and I think about how people are really genuinely interested in these issues and they are interested in veganism yeah. and I'm just talking to them. So I try not to let the interviewer, you know, rile me, which, you know, like I say, it, it, it can take a bit of a knack. Certain sections of society, you know, stupid people who don't know about the environment, who don't know about their health, who really should turn tell, do what we tell them to do and stop eating meat. And that rankles me. Yeah, so, Juliet, you vegans are telling everybody else what to do. That, you know, making, you look, making us look like we're dumb. Well, I think the issues are so serious. We train people at Viva, you know, to, to do that, and they're all convinced at the beginning of the interview that it'll be dead easy. And, in fact, it's not as easy as it sounds because you get drawn in with that person, which exactly is what they want. They want that kind of response, that, that, you know, because it makes good television, doesn't it, that kind of angry banter. But, I mean, the Tim Sheaf thing, I was really kind because I didn't even say, because so, so, I decided to just stick to the positivity of veganism, um, you know, he believes in that the earth is flat. And there what? he is. Really? Yeah, he really does. <laughs> I didn't you know, know that. <laughs> I would be tempted to bring it up. Yeah. I would be tempted to say, yeah, all right. Well, on the one hand, this bloke's got his opinion. On the yeah. other hand, he thinks he's in danger of falling off France. Yeah, I know. It just made me laugh that, that this is the representative of meat eaters. This is the best they could get, you know. But, mm. yeah, no, honestly, I think, I think overall, you know, the response from that from the public was good. I mean, I've read various things about why, because it is interesting, why there's this hostility to veganism, which obviously is getting less and less because there are simply more of us, of course. Um, and a few years ago, the role of the media was a very interesting one. And I'm sure you've looked into this with environmental arguments, but the role of the media is it's... There was about, it's about a decade ago now, and they looked at hundreds of reports on veganism and found that only about 5% were positive. So I think that has had an influence over time. As I said, it's getting better. But one of the most, you know, the papers that were seen as being left wing, which was The Guardian, we used to have, um, major problems at Viva, they would not publish a single sympathetic thing about what we did. And ironically, it was the Daily Mail who used to cover our investigations. Really? So that was a very odd thing. But largely, the media was against you. So they're, you know, they're, they're fueling a lot of uh, myths and a lot of people's, you know, people love gossipy things, don't they? They like to hate something. And it, especially if you feel, it's like somebody telling you not to eat cake when you really like cake, isn't it? You know, you're very ready to have a go at the person who tells you not to do it, even if the reasons are very valid, you know, and then you've got the media whipping you up saying, oh, those people that hate cakes, they're just all bloody lunatics. And you're like, yeah, yeah, they are. You know, um, you know there's no logic to that. It's an emotional yeah. thing. And there's another big study that was done much more recently, um, two or three years ago, which actually looked at the emotion of diet. And that's very interesting because it is a lot of the decisions people make and the reactions to you who sometimes are perfectly reasonable people, you know, become these frothing at the mouth, angry people when you talk about veganism and you're like, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> hairdressers are in the employment of the government. 
pair are your aerials. They pick up signals from the cosmos and transmit them directly into the brain. This is the reason bald-headed men are uptight. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, people just get so weird, don't they? About anything to do with with food, you know. Like, all you got to do is eat something that someone around you thinks is slightly not normal, and they'll be all over you yeah. asking you questions about it. And you know, well, people just get so defensive. It's quite extraordinary. <laughs> Stop ramming it down their throat, Dave. Stop ramming it down <laughs> their throat, you exactly. people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, do you, I don't. Is there something particular about? food do you think that makes people do uh, that? I think it's because you, we're so reliant as a human being on our parents for survival for so long and your parents have taught you you know to consume meat fish eggs the whole caboodle and you know to go against that very emotional you know security and everything that you've been told is quite a big decision and against your family and sometimes your culture you know um in some you know if you go to france and look at sort of the the role of cheese you start to understand why some people have been so reluctant to give it up because of all these events that are you know are surrounded by um sorry where cheese is central i didn't realize it till i was over there quite how central it was but but I think, I mean, a lot of people have spoken about this, but it's going back to this cognitive dis- dissonance thing, which is when people hold conflicting ideas or conflicting attitudes or behaviours at the same time in their mind, you have to find ways of coping with that. And if somebody, like a vegan, says, ooh, don't you think that's a little bit paradoxical that yeah, on yeah. the one hand, billions of animals are being killed and kept in factory farms and it's utterly cruel and people like Viva are exposing these factory farms and yet you say you love animals and you want to save elephants or you love your dog... It creates stress, a mental stress in people and a discomfort that they'd rather not feel. So they've got two ways of handling that or two key ways. One is, ah, I'll go vegan too because you're right. There's an, you know, I'm being contradictory and I'm being illogical. Or the other way of handling it is just shut the f*** up and get out of here. I don't want to actually think about this and my cognitive sandcastles are flimsy and they're falling down so I'm going to say things like but plants have feelings too (laughs) Um, so it it is very interesting how we you know hold up like um, Dr Melanie Joy says like you know our whole understanding of diet is like a deck of cards that's ready to just fall because it's built on illogic Hi, I'm Arabella, and you're listening to Sustainababble. In your time of doing this, you must have heard some world-class, stupid, bloody arguments. You must get them all all the time, you know, like, oh, well, yeah, but if you were on a desert island with just you and a hedgehog, I suppose you'd starve, would you, rather than eat the hedgehog or, you know, whatever... (laughs) Do hedgehogs live in desert islands? I don't know. Anyway, yeah, go on. Tell us some of the really stupid ones you get. Your favourite cretinous vegan straw person argument things. I suppose the ones that, that that seem when people are trying to rile you up and they think it's funny, um, and they think it's original. Even um, I, I kind of like. I suppose my response is more to yawn these days, to be honest. But it's like. Um, 
you know, it was what I just said. It's like, but plants feel pain, don't they? And I remember I was at Christmas dinner with um, friends of the family. It was a big affair. And this bloke, you know, he puts his fork into the sprout and goes, but sprouts feel pain too, then puts it in his mouth and pulls the fork off as, as if he's doing some macho, you know, achievement by eating this, you know, <laughs> sprout that feels pain. And I just thought, I just looked at him and I thought, what is it you're Bastard. actually trying to achieve around this dinner table? <laughs> <laughs> Leave the sprout alone. You know, and I just burst out laughing. I actually genuinely found it funny in, in such a pathetic way. And again, that wasn't the response he was looking for. He was looking for me to get angry and start to get irritated and try to justify myself. But I just don't feel the need to do that. So it kind of, you know, you come at people sideways and then... Then you get people asking you sensible questions who are genuinely interested. But I've had, honestly, everything, and I'm sure, you know, you, you will have heard them, but I've had, oh, yeah, one is um, animal, you know, yeah, chickens wouldn't lay eggs if they didn't, if they didn't like being in cages. You get that. And, um, cows wouldn't give milk yeah, if they didn't, you know, if they didn't want to give it to us. Um, the, you know, um, oh, and the obvious one, you can't eat anything, you know, and you're just thinking, God, I had that actually on a radio interview literally three or so weeks ago. And the female presenter said, I am interested in going vegan. Everything you says makes sense. She said, but you can't eat anything. And I thought she was going to say, I live out in the middle of the countryside. I said, where do you live? She said, Brighton. (laughs) I'm sorry, but you must be walking around with your your head in a a plastic bag because veganism is everywhere in Brighton. Not in Brighton. It'd be a hemp bag in Brighton. Uh, That's the point. (laughs) Probably walking walking around with your head in a a Viva tote bag. That's the point. You couldn't move with them. If you gain weight from too much chow, I will never call you a cow. I respect you and cows. Don't use cow as an insult. If you eat every I used to get, but not so much now at all. People go, oh, surely you miss a bit of me. Don't you, don't you miss bacon in the morning? I have to say, that has really subsided massively. And in fact, the stupid really? questions have subsided massively. I, I, it is switching around to more genuine interest of, like, I'm interested, how do I do it? Yeah. I think a large part of that is because, like, the food has got better, right? And there's more of it. So people now yeah. kind of understand, you know, they'll go to a supermarket and they'll see there's aisles full of vegan food. It's not a weird thing anymore. It's not this big mysterious thing. Yeah, and it matters when you go out to a restaurant with friends, with family, that there is that choice. And the fact that you can say, oh, you know, and they, you go into somewhere and they say, oh, do you want the vegan menu without you even asking? You go, yeah, please. And, and there, there's all these magnificent choices. You know, of course it matters. You know, it's silly to think that it doesn't. But, and then the advent of social media was huge for veganism because it meant we were put on a more of a level playing field with our adversaries. You know, before that, you know, when I started campaigning, the meat industry was spending... In fact, there was a commission that just spent millions and millions of pounds on promoting red meat. And you couldn't compete with that, you know, as an organisation. It was impossible. You had a pittance. Social media comes along and suddenly, you know, you're able to put out videos which are a damn sight more powerful than theirs. You know, hmm. so so it did change. It, it really was an important um, game changer, social media. I respect you and snakes. Don't use snakes as an insult. Animals are innocent. Don't be speciesist. Never. No, no, never. So one of the things that, you know, 
you've you've said quite a lot is that veganism is really really empowering it's the best thing about it right because most of the stuff like me and i'll bang on about on this here podcast involves someone who isn't us with a lot of power and money to do something about it so we can bang on about like not chopping down a rainforest but it's not really up to Mm. us whether a rainforest gets chopped down but you've always said that veganism is like it's a direct thing that you can do an empowering personal thing that you can do um but are there any, what are the limits to that? Because there's got to be a point where we need governments and companies to do something as well. We can't save all the animals just by what we each do, can we? I think um, it's absolutely essential that we get millions of people to change and that's where we're at now because, unfortunately, politicians lag behind public opinion big time. Um, and in fact, in terms of Viva, in terms of dealing with the public now, in terms of dealing with the industry even the meat industry, ironically, but they're all shifting ground and they're all recognising that huge changes have to happen. Um, then it's just a different ball game. completely dealing with politicians. It's, it's like some of them are decades behind in attitude. So it's absolutely essential that you have consumer and public campaigning because that is what actually drives the change in industry and then politically. You know, they don't come out of nowhere, these changes. But in answer to your question, yes, we do need government. We need intergovernmental changes now. We need it rapidly because of what's happening to the state of the planet. And one of the things that we're moving on to work with, which we've just um, started very recently, about a couple of months ago, is looking at the transitioning of farming. So I think we're at the stage now where, you know, we've been working on the actual issues themselves for 26 years. For the past 15, we've been really actively helping people change and put a lot of you know effort into that now i think we need to, as part of that mix is actually to work um with farmers and actually say this is not about not eating we all need to eat but we need to do this in a sustainable way and the sustainable way truly means veganism so how are we going to shift agriculture in the uk and it's incredible how self-sustainable we could be here We're in a very relatively luxurious position in the UK with our climate and our soil and all the rest of it. But it does need to be intergovernmental in terms of cooperation if we genuinely want to stop things like climate change and we genuinely want to stop the sixth mass extinction. And I do feel the urgency really is there now. So, you know, so it's yes and yes to your question. Individual change is incredibly powerful with veganism, and that's one of the reasons I do like working on it. Um, and yes, we do have to shift bigger bodies to actually get them to change as well. But that should never make you stop you putting off changing yourself because there is genuine power in it. I mean, you have to think about... For those of you that are old enough, think about what it was like to be vegan, you know, even five years ago, 10 years ago. But in my case, think about it 20 and 30 years ago. In human history, that's the blink of a blink of a blink of an eye. And yet attitudes and the, you know, towards veganism and the provision for veganism has changed beyond all recognition. And that's very quick. I have to say, something you'll find interesting, just reading behind the scenes of the meat industry, though, there's an absolute recognition that meat consumption is destroying the environment. And that's very interesting indeed, coming from the meat industry. So what they're saying behind the scenes is, which is very like the oil industry, I have to say, you know, you could almost interchange them. At the moment, they're kind of saying, let's continue the way that we are, but look at the viable options in terms of changing our companies to produce vegan burgers instead of meat or vegan agriculture instead of growing blah, blah, blah. 
Um, let's look at all that because we're going to get to a point when the government's going to give us loads of money to transition. And you're just thinking, yeah, but it might be a yeah. bit too late by then. It'd be kind of good if you started now. <laughs> but it's interesting that they're talking in that way. Yes, it's the it's the classic capitalist sort of playbook, mm. isn't it? Like, and and you see it with every big industry that knows absolutely knows it's destructive. Mm. Tobacco being the obvious example. Mm. Like, well, we're not going to just give up our massive, massive pay mm. packets, um, even if we're getting them by, in the case of tobacco, exploit- exploiting human health. But it's the same, you know, it's just what, what all these mm. big industries do. But it's, it's that thing, isn't it, about it's, it's coming. I remember having a talk to this this um, right-wing professor guy. So proper, like, you know, big environmental expert, but not the sort of person who generally thinks, like, hugging trees is great. Um, and, and I remember him saying to me in an offhand moment, we were just having a coffee, and he said, like, 50 years from now, this guy said, we're going to look back at factory farming and consider it one of the most barbaric and abhorrent things we ever did. I remember being really struck, because it's not like, you know, this is not a hippie who was saying this to me. And it, it, this, it is, isn't it? It's the next big thing, the next big change in awareness that's coming. They're going to look at it and go, I can't believe we did mm. that. You know, and and the industry must know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. We made a documentary called Hogwood, um, which was about an investigation that was over three years, 17 to 2019. And the re- one of the reasons I wanted to make it was to actually show the British public, because this is the naivety of people... We still, as a, we still as a society want to believe in authority. We want to believe that they're in this for our good. Because if you don't believe that, then things start to become very uncomfortable indeed, don't they? And they say, well, why, why is factory farming allowed? Why is it that bad? Oh, my God, I never knew pigs were kept like that. You know, genuine, genuine shock. And um, one of the reasons we wanted to make the documentary was to show what was kind of going on behind the scenes. You know, like, why did Tesco, why did they take three years to actually drop this farm? Why did they back it up? You know, why did Red Tractor support it? Why did the National Pig Association send out people to actually defend them? And it's, it was really interesting because behind the scenes, Tesco told a colleague of mine who was um, working on some vegan foods with them, actually, that if they dropped Hogwood, they knew that the next farm they, they took on would be just as bad because pig farming in the UK is that intensive and it's that appalling. And that Viva would just come along again and expose that one. So they kind of made a decision, well, we'll improve Hogwood and try and make that better and resist Viva and they'll just go away. And of course, we didn't go away. We were very persistent on that campaign. Um, and in the end, of course, the hidden cameras caught, you know, people actually hitting the pigs and the public relations disaster for Tesco was just too huge for them to continue. They did not drop that farm because they suddenly started caring. They dropped it because the PR negativity was just too embarrassing for them. And it's kind of explaining that to people, which comes back to your previous question of why it's so important to change yourself, because you cannot rely on industry to do any of this for you. We've got to, we've got to push them and force them and say, hey, we do care. And unfortunately, if you just keep on buying meat and hoping that they'll do the right thing, you know, you're in cloud cuckoo land because it ain't like that. I make the fabulous, I make, I make the crap into credible, I make the dull into delicious. delicious. 
So what's it like going into a horrible pig farm, you know, when you're not supposed to be there and with cameras and knowing full well that if you get found, you, you're not exactly going to be invited in for tea <laughs> and, you know, asked to explain the, the rationale behind what you're doing. I mean, is it is it scary? Is it exhilarating? Is it upsetting? Well, I'm, I'm not in any way, you know, sort of um, a brave person in that kind of sense at all. But I started doing it because somebody had to do it. You know, you ha- somebody had to be in there filming. Um, and of course, I started Viva from nothing. So, you know, it was like, well, if I'm not prepared to do it and I couldn't actually find anybody else who was at that time, you know, so, so I kind of was forced into this. Of- yeah, I think I'm, uh, I, I know, I'm watching Netflix that night. I would. I would. I definitely would. I just, guys? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, guys? you know, I'm just being honest with you. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not this kind of person that thinks, oh, you know, nothing scares me because I have to be honest. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, bloody hell, they allow farmers to have shotguns and they're going to just shoot me and say that it was an accident accident you know or that they thought this or they thought that and and you know it's pitch black as well i've been on factory farms that we haven't been able to scout out properly in the day just because of their positions and you've gone in at night and there's been no moon and you you know you're almost you into the wall of the farm because it's that dark you know and it's like into your face and then you're walking in this place and you yeah my stomach does flip a bit this where i'm standing now is one of the big producers called bird brothers they've got about 450,000 birds kept in cages. They have a space that's less than the size of this postcard, more each than they had in a battery cage. Fundamentally, you know what you're going to see is going to be shocking and it's going to be horrible and, you know, you're going to be confronted with things that nobody wants to be confronted with cruelty. You know, why on earth would you? But you're doing it because you have to expose what's going on because it changes so many people and you can't let these bastards get away with it. They have to be exposed. And so always you've got this uncomfortable feeling in in the pit of your stomach that you're going to have to see something you don't want to see. So for our listeners who might be listening to this, and let's say they've been listening to this and they've got to the end of the interview and somehow, for some reason, they have come to the conclusion all by themselves that veganism is a thing they'd like to give a go, but it seems like a big deal. It seems like, you know, quite a big step. Uh, what? How do you ease into it? What's the first step for people who are thinking about going vegan? I think we've just launched something called V7, which is going vegan just for one week. So it's only one week shop rather than a whole month, which for some meat eaters feels too daunting. So I'd say do the seven-day vegan. Um, if you just go on viva.org.uk and just look at, you know, V7, because we've deliberately kept the recipes really, really simple and tasty and quick as well. So all those things, you know, convenience. We've just produced a new little guide, which is about cheap vegan food as well, because another myth that we wanted to get over is that veganism has to be expensive. It absolutely does not. It can be tasty, cheap, and damn sight more healthy than the meat equivalents. Um, the other thing I'd really recommend that they look at is the Vegan Recipe Club, because that's got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of recipes on and it's really easy to filter like according to speed or according to cuisine like Italian or Chinese or whatever you're interested in or you can put an ingredient like say you go in your fridge and you've just got I don't know carrots and onions blah blah left in there you put that in the ingredients and it'll come up with recipes 
with those ingredients you know so that's veganrecipeclub.org.uk and I'm not the best cook in the world by any stretch but I actually do find that very inspirational um so yeah there's the two the other thing can I just and it's another website but um if you go to vivahealth.org.uk and you look at the section on going vegan, you'll see things like veganizing charts. So it'll have a table with your typical meat meal and give you the vegan version. And I found that lots of meat reducers and meat eaters find that really helpful because it makes it, I don't know, much more accessible, I suppose, because the vegan recipes are much more familiar. So the really obvious example, you know, like if you have meat, spaghetti, um, um, bolognese or you had chili con carne, the vegan versions, you're literally just changing the, you know, the cow mince for vegan mince, which is available everywhere. And you're not doing any, you know, pretty much anything else. So you're still eating very familiar food. So I'd recommend that as a starting point is staying familiar and then if you if you are, you know, you like to be a bit imaginative and start to embrace it and enjoy it, switch your attitude from it being about deprivation into one where you're actually doing something that's exciting, that's lovely, that's, you know, helping save the planet, save yourself, save animals. But also, I actually honestly, honestly say this, and I mean it, I think the food's a damn sight more exciting than your typical meat meals. I really do mean yes. that. So embrace it. Chickpeas forever. that is just about it for another episode of Sustainababble thank you very much Dave for well recording some of your audio uh, thank <sighs> you very much mainly to Juliet for just being great and I, I have so so much respect for Juliet and for anyone who does what Juliet does but specifically for Juliet I think it is incredible and um, yeah badass uh, and very inspiring so uh, do go and check out all those websites that she mentioned or just search for Viva search for vegan recipes whatever uh, if you want to get in touch with us and tell us that Dave is a nincompoop uh, you can you can do it in any number of these ways preferably all of, all of them uh, you can tweet us at the Babble Wagon you can find us on Facebook at Sustainababble you can email us hello at sustainababble.fish you can of course also thank me for my audio genius by contributing to the running costs of this organ where perhaps we might be able to uh, afford me looking on the internet to find out how to work this device um we are we're listening we, we're going to afford a personal <laughs> tutor for dave that is the only <laughs> we, way out of this <laughs> we are a listener supported podcast please chip into the running costs it makes a massive difference that is at www.patreon.com slash sustainable thank you to all those who do you are our heroes thank you to the wonderful dickie moore for the music that starts, ends and intertwinkles this here podcast all and to the legendary Arthur Stovall for the logo what adorns it super we're going to be back next week now some things are happening between now and then yes and big orange related things depending on what happens sort of depends what we're going to talk about or whether we're still (laughs) alive or like you know compass so 
Just watch this space. Indeed. Um, oh, and the other thing to say, uh, we are we plugged this last time, plug it again. On the 7th of November, we are appearing live, Babble Live, at a thing called Future Fest, uh, which is an, a, a big festival, big green festival thing, normally not online, but online this year. We're doing a live episode of the Babble, and also we're doing a how to... This does sound ridiculous now I say it. How to make a podcast. Um, and obviously, lesson, uh, lesson number one, work device that makes podcasts happen properly um so i'll be talking all about that you can go to pebblefuturefest.com i think it is um, and you can get hold of some tickets only a tenner live babble in your ear holes super all right thank you very much dave see you soon bye bye